Hello, and welcome to PhD Paranormal. Where a pair of frightening PhDs tell frightening stories from the internet. Happy Halloween, Dr. Evan. Happy Halloween, Dr. Evan. It's the day before the best day of the year. Yes, it is the penultimate day. Yes, it is. Um, I was about to say Halloween 30, which makes no sense. It is October 30th. Yes. Halloween is tomorrow. And this is your bonus content, listeners. This is what our patrons are supporting with Mountain Dew. Even though... We just recorded our re-record of the Philadelphia Experiment, so we are both currently out of Diet Dew. It is depressing and it's sad. It's okay. We'll make it. It is fast. <laughs> That's me speaking in demonic tongue for anyone who wants to know. Yes, yeah, so this will be a shorter episode. It's not yes. a formal discussion of anything. We're no. going to tell you some spooky stories. Yes. And maybe some spooky poems. Ooh, spooky poems. Yes, but That's... as our listeners know... I'm a huge fan of the spooky. Yes. I'm a huge fan of spooky stories. Yes. And so I have been doing my 31 days of horror. Um, I have not watched my film for today yet because right. it's like, what time is it? 12 something in the afternoon. Um, but I've been keeping up. I've been watching a good mix of old and new. Mm. Perhaps when I'm done, I can post everything I watched. That would be fantastic. To the Facebook so they can see. I did watch a quasi-spooky movie last night. What? Uh, I had seen it before, but Tucker and Dale versus Evil. That's a horror comedy. That counts. It is amazing. It's very funny. Alan Tudyk is a national treasure. I mm. want to take him home. Not in a creepy wear your skin sort of way, but mm. I would like to take him home. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't... What uh, What did I watch last night? I'm blinking. It was, it was fine. It wasn't great. But I've watched some really good ones, like the new Hellraiser. Okay. On Hulu, which is a remake, is pretty good. Um, I watched Barbarian, which is a new one. That was pretty fun. Okay. So we've had a good mix of some duds that were new, some old classics like The Exorcist and um, Psycho, yes. and a mix of really good new ones. Excellent. So I will have to share. So our goal today, listeners, is to tell you some spooky stories. These are coming mostly from the internet, although there's one at the end that is real and near to my heart that I will share with you. So without any further ado, we will start our spooky, scary... Spooky, scary stories. I totally ruined it. Our spooky stories for all of you. Which Ed is mostly going to read because Ed has the spookier voice. That is years of oral interpretation of literature in high school. Ooh. So the first ghost listeners, oh my gosh, let me start over. Our first ghost story listeners comes from the interwebs, and it is called The Kidnapping Ghost. In 1998, Joe reloaded. <laughs> Apparently, hold on. All right, Apparently, Dr. Ed has lost his mind. He tried to be serious and spooky, and it became very unserious <clears throat> and unspooky. Okay. So we're right. going to let him um, gather himself. I'm back together. While I, I get radio close to this microphone. I'm ready. All right, he's ready. I'm ready. Sorry. Let me try this again. In 1998, Joe relo- relocated from California. Once again with feeling, oh my gosh. The only thing spooky about this podcast so far is how bad we are at it. In 1998, Joe relocated from California to Georgia to work as a manager at an auto body shop with his cousin. 
Soon after, Joe's brother followed him to the Peach State and rented a small house built in the late 1800s. It looked nice from the outside. It did not feel good from the inside, Joe was reported to have said. Things were off from the moment he helped his brother move into the house. I walked into the house and went, oh man, the hair on the back of his neck stood up and he felt ill at ease, like the place isn't cool at all. Moments later, while carrying items into the bedroom, Joe says that he had heard whispering, a heated whispering, almost an argument between two people that seemed to be hovering in the top of the ceiling area of the room. Joe ran out of the room, asked his brother if he'd felt something off about the house as well. His brother had picked up on the vibe, but after praying on it, his brother said he felt that things would be all right. As long as you're good, Joe said. I'm not good, but I'm going to help you, but I'm going home and I probably won't come back here. In the weeks that followed, there were more unusual occurrences, including a terrifying event in which Joe's eight-year-old nephew was taking a bath and sat up to find an elderly man in the tub with him. It took about two days to calm him down, and he never took baths after that. After falling asleep on the couch one night, Joe's brother awoke to find an elderly man and woman seated on either side of him arguing back and forth about whether or not they were going to allow the brother and his family to remain in the home. The kicker, however, was when Joe's brother asked to borrow his truck one afternoon after receiving word that his four-year-old daughter had been found wandering along a busy road by herself with her hand up in the air. Police and other agencies were called in to investigate, and when asked, the four-year-old explained she'd just gone for a stroll with the old lady. What old lady? Joe's brother asked. The old lady that lives here in our house, his daughter replied. She just wanted to go for a walk, so we went for a walk. The front door for the house was too heavy for a four-year-old, so everyone was perplexed how she was able to leave the house. The old lady opened the door. Then we petted the dog for a little bit. Then we went for a walk, the little girl explained. She was so genuine and honest at four years old that he couldn't call her a liar. Shortly after his brother moved out of the house and never went back, Joe says he still drives by the house nearly every day. It looks like a perfectly normal, acceptable house. Except for what's inside. Creepy story number one. Yes. You ready for another one? I am, yes. So this one is shorter. Okay. So there's a phenomenon on the internet, listeners, that's called two-sentence horror stories. Mm-hmm. Or there is also a trend on the internet, which is to try to come up with a short horror story. They even have a TV show based off of the um, yes. two-sentence horror stories. Yes. So this isn't entirely a two-sentence horror story, but it is very short. A man and his son lived in a house. And one night, the man decided to put his son to bed. And as he began tucking his son into his bed, his son says, Daddy, check for monsters under my bed. I look underneath for his amusement, and I see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering, Daddy, there's something on my bed. I've heard that one before. (laughs) It's creepy. That is a creepy story. Yes. All right. You want to hear another one? Yes, please. We have a lot of them. We don't have a lot of them, but we do have some for you. So, friends, this is the story, the tale, 
of a character known as Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack, okay. Stingy, Stingy Jack. Now, there was a man, he lived in Ireland, and his name was Stingy Jack. Now, Stingy Jack was true to his name. He did not like to spend money at all. Now, Stingy Jack, one day when he was at the crossroads, he met the devil, and he decided to invite the devil to have a drink with him. Now, true to his name, Stingy Jack didn't actually want to pay for the drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could then use to buy the drinks. Now, once the devil agreed and turned himself into a coin, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Now, Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack, Jack die, the devil would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil. The devil's not very smart if you haven't noticed. Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick off a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come back down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after, Jack died. Now Jack went up to heaven, but God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick that Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. So he sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack then put his coal into a carved out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern. And now we simply call him Jack O'Lantern. Turnip. (laughs) And a pumpkin. (laughs) I like it. So that is actually a story from Irish mythology. Of course, listeners, you know much of Halloween comes from the Irish Celtic traditions of Samhain. And um, so that's part of that story. But I think it's time now for our friend Dr. Evan to tell us a spooky poem. Yes. I shall move this back to me. Um, Yes, I have a spooky poem. Which um, feels very near and dear to my heart because I grew up in corn country. It's about corn. Is it about candy corn? No. The devil's candy. That is the devil's candy. Um, In that, I think he poops it out. And that's why it tastes so darn bad. It tastes delicious. Uh, We have an ongoing rage about how much I hate candy corn. Okay, here we go. The shortcut through the cornfield tempts you as you're walking home. The clouds above keep the moon concealed as you enter the swaying corn alone. The corn grows tall and thick, my friend. The path you chose is muddy. It grows and rows without scope or end, and in the dark you hurry. You don't see the standing forms as you pass them on your way. They stand still amongst the swaying corn, which hides their pallor and decay. Hundreds gather in this field tonight, though you see none at all. Yet still you look around in fright, but the corn grows too thick, too tall. You tell yourself as you continue through, it's merely the rustling of the leaves. But they see you, and they hear you, and they might not let you leave. Dum-dum-dum. I do not like cornfields. I don't like them. I I grew up with them. I used to run through them. They are places where bad things hide. Um, Not usually, but (laughs) I enjoy cornfield. 
Um, I love myself a cornfield. I grew up, we would cut through the cornfield to go to um, a neighborhood. You should never cut through cornfields. You shouldn't because um, farmers get mad. And then they hide things in there that will kill you. No, corn actually can cut you. Like, not the corn itself, but the the stalks. Because they are evil. Corn is not evil. Corn is delicious. Corn is unprocessable by the human body. That's why we poop so much of it out. But it tastes good. Yeah. Cream corn. I used to eat cold cream corn out of a can. <laughs> can too. Just so you know. That's a true scary story. You can't trust a man now who says that candy corn is good when in the previous episode he admitted to eating just straight condensed mushroom soup, cream of mushroom soup out of a Campbell's can. So good. And now admits to eating... I can't. Okay, just go on with your spooky stories. That is terrifying enough for me. I used to take uh, pieces of cheese and dip it into mayonnaise (laughs) and just eat cheese and mayonnaise. It was so delicious. Ticks all the right boxes. Now, that is a little less horrifying to me, but it's still not good. Yes. Um, Okay, so here's another story for you. This is one that's called The Whistler. So there's a lot of details in this story, and there's also video evidence. This is a true story from the internet. There's video evidence that I will post onto the Facebook page at some point. But I'm reading someone else's story, so this is how it goes. When I was about eight years old, I was taking my dog for a walk through the neighborhood with my mom. It was maybe 11 p.m., We lived next to a swampy, wooded area on the edge of our neighborhood in Lansing, Michigan. I remember it being very silent and slightly windy. From down the swamp, we heard somebody whistling at us. It sounded sort of like a bird, but each whistle was different enough where the lack of consistency made it human-like. The whistle sounded higher, then lower. I can't really describe it. My mom had a concerned, slightly terrified look on her face and grabbed my hand and said that we should go inside quickly. I didn't understand because I was too young, but seeing my mom freak out made me freak out too. After a while, though, I kind of forgot about it. Two years later, I was taking my dog out again late at night. There's a large bush that could easily obscure obscure a person behind it just next to our front door. As I was finishing the walk, The whistling noise started again. Same pitches, same inconsistent human-like tones. As soon as I heard it, a chill went down my spine as I remembered exactly the feeling of seeing my mom, terrified, looking down into the swamp at something I couldn't see. Maybe she couldn't see either, and I ran inside as fast as possible. Years went by, and I thought about this less and less. I told only a handful of people, and eventually it slipped from my mind. Fast forward to last summer. I'm 24, started dating my girl Sarah. We moved out to South Dakota for work. For Independence Day, we decided to go to Pierre, South Dakota. Pierre? 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 I don't know. Keep going. South Dakota, and watch the fireworks along the bank of the Missouri River. There was a free camping spot behind a hospital where you could pitch your tent hang out, and see the fireworks up the river. We were near the end of the campground, and there were very few people around us. As it was getting dark, the fireworks began. 
They were pretty far away, so the illumination they brought, sorry, we're having fly issues still, brought was very little. Thus, we had to sit right at the edge of the river to be able to see them. A huge thunderhead was moving in, and a storm was imminent, so the air seemed electric and the wind was picking up. The atmosphere was uh, eerie, to say the least. The police boats herded all the other boats off of the river and left our area to do that elsewhere. Most of the other campers walked up the river to have a better view of the fireworks. But Sarah and I stayed back, and we were drinking PBR Tallboys and kicking it. Suddenly, we heard the sound of a paddle, methodically dipping into the water. We saw a figure steering a canoe about 20 meters off the shore. Sarah decided to go get some more beers from the car, leaving me alone to stare at this mystery person. And then, of course, they whistled at me. My entire body was frozen and covered in goosebumps. It was the exact same whistle from my childhood. More than a decade earlier, I looked at the figure, but it was much too dark to discern who it could be. They were wearing a hat. When they were perpendicular to the shore for me, they stopped paddling, turned the canoe to face directly at me, and whistled right at me. I was so frightened, I stood up and shouted at them, Who are you? They didn't say anything. Just whistled a couple more times, turned the canoe 180 degrees, and paddled out of my sight. I'm a videographer, so I already had my camera by my side, and I was taking a video of the fireworks. As the canoe was almost out of sight, I grabbed my camera and got a shot of them whistling as they went away. When Sarah came back from getting beers, she was very confused as to why I was so freaked out. When I explained, she was freaked out a bit too. I was convinced we would both be murdered that night. How did this whistling person follow me after 14 years all the way to South Dakota? Was it a coincidence? Why was it the same whistling noise? Who was that person and where did they go? So many questions still unanswered. To this day, I'm more afraid of being outside in the dark, where I might hear that whistling again than anything else. And that's the whistler. So, you know, we talk about how like fairy tales and horror stories, etc. are ways of teaching people things. And I think what this story teaches us is outside is bad. Which I've been saying for quite some time. But outside, bad. It's funny you should say that because that is an appropriate segue into our last story. Okay. Now this last spooky story is a true story that took place in my life. It was an experience I had. Oh, I was about to say allegedly. Not allegedly. No. (laughs) True story. And it took place uh, probably about seven or eight years ago while Mm -hmm. I was partnered. And my partner and I were traveling back from Oregon to Missouri, okay, after summer. And we had decided to, in this trip, go through um, Nevada to see his parents. And then we were going to camp in Great Basin National Park. Now, Great Basin National Park is one of these amazing national parks that's much off the beaten path. Most people don't realize it's there. It's not Yellowstone, Yosemite, right? Mm -hmm. Arcadia, it's just really amazing. They have some great caves. It is beautiful, but it's also very desolate. And so we were driving to Great Basin, 
Okay, and we were just talking in the car, and I don't even know why we started on this conversation, but I was talking about how in Montana, when I was a little kid, um, in the 70s, we actually had a serial killer in Montana. His name was Meyerhofer, and he basically um, had killed a couple women, killed a couple young boys, um, and what he had done is he would like sneak into people's tents and like pull them out. And so when they finally arrested him, they found um, um, body parts, fingers and things like that in his freezer. So I was telling the story. We were just talking, right? And I didn't think anything of it. We rolled into Great Basin Campground very late at night. Of course, this is August late at night. Great Basin is not heavily traveled. So there's only one other car in this entire campground. And it was quite some distance away from us. And so we set up the tent and we made some ramen. It's dark out. We didn't think anything of it. And, you know, took our stuffed camels into the tent and went to bed. Okay. Well, probably about one or two in the morning, mm -hmm. um, my partner wakes me up by shaking my shoulder, right? And I come out of this sleep. And I start to say, what's going on? Or I go to say that. And he clasps his hand over my mouth. He goes, makes a sign for shh. And he whispers, there's someone outside the tent. And I was like, what do you mean there's someone outside the tent? And what he said is that he had been laying here in the tent. And he had been listening and he could hear someone walking around the tent on the gravel, crunch, crunch, and then a pause, and then crunch, crunch, pause. Well, this is obviously disconcerting, right? Having serial killers who cut people out of their tents on our minds. And of course, neither of us had our glasses on. All of our lights, our cameras, our, not our cameras, but our phones with lights, or up in the um, tent sort of... Um, a, like a hammocky thing. Yeah, yeah, hammocky storage hammock in the tent. All kind of messed up with our cameras, my keys, and our camels, right? So it was a big thing. But our plan was we were going to do something. So we laid there for a minute, and I heard it too. Crunching, kind of like a dragging crunching across the, sound, the, the ground, and it would stop. And so finally, we get our cameras out of this mess, trying to be very careful. And we each slowly unzip our sides of the tent. Then we slowly reach out and we unzip the rain flap. And then quickly, we jump out and we turn on our camera flashlights. Nothing there. And then we hear it again. And what had happened is that our tent rain flap had come loose <laughs> and the wind was dragging the rain flap <laughs> across the gravel. Now, the truly scary thing about all that story is that it was terrifying at that particular moment, but it was also traumatic to our relationship <laughs> because my partner at that time blamed me for telling stories of serial killers <laughs> before we went camping. So that is the spooky story of the serial killer of Great Basin National Park. 
Well, and also while you were talking, I looked up that guy. He died in 1974, so. Yeah. It wouldn't have been him. No, no. He committed suicide, I believe. He's young, too. He's only 25. Yes. Yeah, he did commit suicide. Yes. Um, But if you Google Montana serial killer, there's more than one. Yes. Yes, there's five (laughs) or six that existed. So anyway, spooky listeners, that is your bonus content. Hopefully you found something that would scare you. Hopefully you'll find something that will scare you on Halloween tomorrow. Yes, and listen, watch a scary movie. Yes. Even if it's a tame scary movie. Yes, Hocus Pocus 2. Sure. Poltergeist 1. Delightful. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead. I mean, those are pretty scary. 20, 28 Days of Night. You're getting scarier. Dracula. That one's not scary. Dracula 2000. That was was just bad. (laughs) Um... But I'm just saying, you know, enjoy your evening, watch something spooky, hand out some candy to some children. Yes. If children appear at your door and are not dressed in costume, just remember that that doesn't mean that they are undeserving un, um, of your candy. Right. And also remember, even if they're teenagers or older, give them some damn candy. Yeah, just let them, let them hang on to some wholesome childhood for a yes. little while longer. And then give them some floss, too, so you'll always be that house. No, you could be the house that gives out the king-size candy bar. That is the amazing house to be. Mm. All right, spooky listeners, as we draw you in close, hopefully you have a wonderful Halloween, and we'll see you in November. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Boo!